Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay, listen, church. Listen, up until this point, right, up until our Bible study tonight, everything in the world has been super good. Okay, chapter 1 in the book of Genesis gives us this wide-angle view of creation. In the beginning, God, we know that, Elohim, he created the world in six days. On the seventh, the Bible says that he rested. We got that. God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it. In chapter 2, he gives us kind of an up-close and personal view of creation. He tells us that he created man out of the dust of the ground. Out of this dust, he breathed life into him. Man became a living being, if you will. God also, at the time, created a garden. We know it as the Garden of Eden. If you're taking notes or you don't remember, Eden means delight. So God created this wonderful paradise for Adam to live in. He was just an amazing gardener. Man basically had one command. God also created two trees. He had one command. You guys remember what it was? This is the one command of the trees. Of all the trees you may freely eat, say freely. Okay, that's important. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says, don't eat from that tree. That's all you got to do. Don't eat from that tree. The rest you may freely, everybody say freely. Freely. That's going to be important in our study a little bit later on, okay? You may freely eat. Why? Why can't I eat that, Lord? Why? Because in that day you eat it, you will surely die. And God gives us a loving prohibition, don't eat of that fruit. And Adam, what's he doing? Well, Adam has the job, right? He has a job. He's busy naming all the animals that God brought to him. And then one day, Adam realizes that, like, there's no one like him. There's a dog and a cat and a giraffe and, and everything else that he names. There's birds of the air, and he's just naming them, and he's, he's, he's got great wisdom, and, he's, and he looks, and he realizes there's no one like him at all. And he realizes, man, I could, I could show you somebody like me, somebody that would talk back to me, somebody that would that we could connect with. And what does God do? Well, he's the great, right? He's the great and ultimate surgeon. What does he do? He causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And when Adam falls into that sleep, he extracts a rib. And what does he do? He fashions woman. And when Adam wakes up, Eve comes walking down. You could picture the scene. Adam wakes up. And I believe God was so amazing that it didn't even hurt Adam on the side. It was just like, oh, I... I just kind of feel something. That's weird. And he looks up and here comes Eve. And you could imagine his eyes. And, and, and all Adam can say is this. He looks at her and he says, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Now to you and I go, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I mean, that's just kind of weird. But to Adam, think about it. She's, he's saying, she's came out of me. She's part of me. She's... She's, you understand, look at her. Wow, that's amazing. This is, this is great. This is great. See, that's why Paul, guys, in teaching us about marriage way in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, he actually writes this down. Why? Because again, remember, he, Adam goes, oh, this is, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my, look at her. Wow, she is woman. She is 
Woo! And so, and so Paul understands this in Ephesians chapter 5, 28 and 29. He tells us, right, because, because all of a sudden, right after that, he institutes marriage and he says this. So husbands ought to love their own wives. How? As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Look at me but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. The reason that Paul can say this to the church at Ephesus is because, listen, because Adam said, this is bone of my bone, and she came from me. I know what it means. And he goes, and a husband, you need to love her because she came from you. She came from you. You need to love her. You need to, he says what? What does he say? He says, husband, you need to nourish your wife. You need to cherish your life. And it makes sense that woman came from man. And so man needs to love his wife just like he loves his own body. For she is flesh of flesh and bone of bone. I want to talk to the men for just a moment. You gals can listen up. If you're here and you're single, this is what you should be wanting. This is what you should be looking for. But I want to talk to the men for just a moment. Men, we are called... By God, in the book of Ephesians, for three things. We are called to love our wives, nourish them, and cherish them. You go, what does that mean? Well, if you're taking note, let's just break this down real quick. Love, it's the word agape. You need to agape your wife. And, of course, everybody goes, yeah, I want to agape my wife. But the problem is, is that's a supernatural love. It's supernatural. It's not a love that you can just kind of go, right? We love but look, can we be honest? We love because they love us, and we love them because they do for us. And no, 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 this is a lot different. This is a supernatural love, only kind of love you get from God. Man, you need to be praying, God, give me an agape love for my wife. Give me an agape love. Give me a supernatural love. This love also is unconditional. God's love isn't dependent on us going, oh, well, if you do this, then I'll love you a little bit more, Ben. If you just, well, if you fix your hair, I'll love you a little bit more. If you dress nice, I'll love, it's unconditional. And that's how we need to develop our loves for our wives. Unconditional love her. We don't love her in hopes that she'll love us. That's the first thing. Everybody got that? But then Paul goes on and says, you need to nourish her. The Greek word is ektrepho. E-K-T-R-E-P-H-O. And here's what it means. To nourish up to maturity. To nourish up to maturity. To bring up, to nurture. Men, it's our jobs to what? To wash our wives in the water of the word. To help them become mature. In the word of God. In their walks with God. It's sad that too many women here are the spiritual leaders. Man, we got to step up and go, listen, I want to help you. I want to grow with you. I want to, this is what God has commanded. I need to nourish you. I need to nourish you. In a practical sense, God has called us to be, to go out and, 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 and provide for our wives, to provide for our families, nourish. I want to bring them up into maturity. You can't bring up to maturity, guys. You can't do it if you're not growing yourself. What else does Paul tell us? He says you need to agape your wives. You need to nourish your wives. And he says you need to cherish. To cherish. It's thalpo in the Greek. Thalpo. And here's what it means. To warm, to keep warm, 
to cherish with a tender love, to foster with a tender care. That's your command. Your command is to keep your wife warm. That's easy, right? Because Nathalie calls me her personal furnace. I'm cold. My wife is always cold. But it's much more more than that. I want to cherish my wife. You mean, what does that mean? Guys, listen, I understand that I'm supposed to love, I'm supposed to nourish, and I'm supposed to cherish with a tender love, to foster with tender care. I can't do it without the Lord. Because without the Lord, I care about me. And with the Lord, I sometimes care about me. And I really need to care about, I want to care about, I want to, I want to warm her. I want to warm her. I want to bring her up to maturity. That's what Paul says. Why? Because flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Wow. Wow. Back in our text, guys, all is well in the garden. All is well. God saw that it was very good. And then we come to chapter 3. And this is where it all breaks down. This is where sin entered the word. Now, last week, we talked about marriage. God instituted marriage, not so you would have just a piece of paper, but marriage is a God's blessing upon a union of a man and a woman. Let me make that clear, okay? Because in, <laughs> in our world today, it's getting crazy. God blessed the union of a man and a woman. And now we come to the place where Adam and Eve are in direct defiance to the command of God, and they're going to partake in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, we know what happened, right? They didn't die that day. Well, they didn't take a bite of the fruit and go, boom, they didn't fall dead, right? Because that's probably what they thought, but they did die, right? They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. Their fellowship, their communion with God was now broken. You could even say they were at war with God. They were at enmity with God at that point. We'll see that next week where they're walking in the garden and they heard God walking and they were like, man, we were afraid, so we hid ourselves. They were playing a game of hide and seek with God and God could see everything. But they did die. They died spiritually, guys, and they also died emotionally. Emotionally. If you're taking notes tonight, guys, and I highly encourage you, you might want to jot this down. If you look at verses 1 to 7, there are three tactics that Satan uses in deceiving Eve. And I think these are the same one that he still uses on a lot of believers today. You go, what are they? Number one, jot this down. Satan always questions God's word. He always questions God's word. Did God really say? In our lives, he'll say the same thing. You go, what else? Number two, jot this down. He changes God's word. First, he questions, and then he changes God's word. And then the third tactic that the enemy uses on your life is he denies God's word. He denies it. You go, what are those again, Ben? He questions God's word. He changes God's word, and he denies God's word. And here's what I want you to note just as well. John, the apostle John, tells us that we struggle like Eve in the same categories, not so much the fall, but the temptation. You go, what categories? Well, remember he writes 
in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, this is what he writes. Listen to what he writes. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things. This is not part of the Father, but is of the world. Those are the same three areas that we are tempted in our walks with God. John writes this, and we're going to see we're going to see that she is going to be tempted in those same three areas. Now, before we jump into our text, allow me to remind you of this fact. You guys ready? Eve was deceived. Adam, he ate knowingly. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if Adam was out naming and all of a sudden he came back and Eve said, baby, taste this. This is so good. And he's like, oh, what is that? Well, that's from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, I think, did you try it? I don't know what he did, but we know this. You go, well, Ben, give me scripture reference. Don't just tell me. Okay, jot this down. First Timothy chapter two, verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. We know that Eve was being deceived. We know that Adam probably, most likely, ate willingly. Ate willingly. Men, that's not hard, is it? When your wife comes to you with something that you've never eaten before, and she says, try this, what do we do? Okay. What is it? I don't know. Why did you give it to me? I mean, we just do. Why? Because we love our wives. I, I can't blame Adam. I just, I know this is what happened. So the question you might be asking tonight, guys, is what was the sin that Adam and Eve committed. Listen, their sin was more than simply eating the forbidden fruit. It was disobeying the word of God, first and foremost, believing the lie from Satan, and then what we do, guys, is we place our own wills above God's. Three things. What was it? Direct defiance, disobeying the word of God believing the lie from Satan, and placing their own wills above ours. And what happens, guys? Well, sin as we know it, with all the dreadful, yucky consequences, is going to enter into the human race and fracture the world as we know it. And again, like I said, we could spend hours probably on verse 1, but we're going to try to get through verse 7. So let's pick it up, guys. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, quote, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? End quote. Well, we got to unpack this verse because this is huge. This is monumental. How so? Well, first of all, we go, who is this serpent? Who is this serpent? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle this word. In the original Hebrew, it actually translates out shining one, nakash, but it means shining one. And I find that interesting. Why? Because I don't know if Eve was, was hanging out by the tree. I don't know if she was like, hey, I don't know if she saw the shining, something shining so amazing, and she's like, hey, i got to see what that is. But I do know this. I know that the Bible tells me that Satan comes, how? As an angel of? Exactly. So, again, the deception is already in. You go, okay, so what is it? Well, it's a shining one. If you look up Nakash, it also means divination, enchantment, and then it just says snake. So you got a snake, right? You have a snake, 
the serpent, guys, right here, based upon God's word, is Satan and the devil, or the devil and Satan, either one, possessing this snake. Some people feel like it's a snake that's, that didn't used to crawl on his belly, that was after the curse, that actually stood up. I wasn't there, although I have a birthday today, I wasn't there, I don't know, but I know after the curse, it was going to crawl and eat the dust of the ground. But we do know it's a snake. Well, you go, well, what is one of the cross-references we find in the Bible? Well, jot this down. This is just an interesting. One of the cross-references is First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. It says where Satan stood up against Israel and moved to number Israel, okay? God permitted Satan to what? To test David. It was that same, again, Satan coming in and tempting. Hey, Dave, 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 listen. Hey, bro, listen. Don't trust in God. Trust in your army. Why don't you number them? It's that same Satan who wants to tempt us. And so, First Chronicles says, God permitted Satan to test David. Well, Ben, how do you know it's Satan? Well, jot this down, Revelation 12, verse 9. It says, so the great dragon was cast out, the, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So what do we see? Based upon the word of God, it was Satan. Satan who possessed. And then Paul actually gives us some insight to what we're about to see, okay? He kind of gives us some insight. You go, why? Because when Paul now is talking to the church at Corinth, Paul actually offers an admonition, but he actually references Genesis chapter 3. You go, how so? Jot this down. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So he's, 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 he's unpacking it, right? Paul is fears that the church, that, that Corinth will be corrupted. How? By the cunning craftiness of Satan, just like Eve was. This was a strong verse reference. Hey, listen, this is, this is what happened. It was the serpent. It was Satan. This snake, this shining one, somehow was possessed by Satan. Satan. So we know who was behind the serpent, Satan, but the Bible says that he was cunning, Cunning. Look at what it says again, guys. Now, the serpent was more cunning. Some of your translations would say crafty. You go, what does it mean exactly? Well, the word cunning, you, if you look at it, it actually means subtle, shrewd, crafty, sly, and prudent. Subtle, shrewd, crafty, sly, and prudent. You go, what does it mean? Well, I thought, I want to know a little bit more about what this means. And so I started to look at these words. Okay, so if we're going to look at the Bible, it says, now Satan was more cunning, okay? He was more subtle. You go, what does that mean? To delicate or precise as to be difficult or analyze or describe. So delicate or precise. So we know that Satan was, he was so delicate or precise as to be difficult to analyze or describe. 
You don't know what's going on with him. First and foremost, he was very subtle. Number two, he was shrewd. What does shrewd mean? Shrewd means having or showing sharp powers of judgment. So not only was he subtle, he was shrewd, but the Bible says that he was crafty. What does crafty mean? Satan was more clever at achieving one's aims by indirect or deceitful methods. Did you catch that? Did you catch that, guys? He was clever at achieving one's aims. How? By indirect or deceitful methods. He was more cunning. He was more crafty than any of the beasts. He was also sly. He's a sly dude. How how so? What does that mean? Having or showing a cunning or deceitful nature. And then the last it says, check this out, prudent, acting with or showing care and thought for the future. This is him. He was more cunning. He was more subtle. He was more shrewd. He was more crafty. He's lie. This is who he was. This is who he was. He was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord, Yahweh, God, Elohim, right? You guys see that? So what happens? Well, again, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of which the Yahweh, Elohim, had made. And he said to the woman, ready? Has God indeed said, you shall what? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Tactic number one, you ready? He questions God's word. He questions God's word. How so? Satan said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Listen to the way the message puts it. Listen to the way. Verse 1 of the message says, the serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal that God had made. He spoke to the woman and he says this, quote, do I understand that God told you not to eat from the tree? In the garden. So he's questioning God's word. Did God really say? Did God really say that? He'll always do that, guys. That's his first tactic in our lives. Did God really say that you shouldn't? Did God really say you should? Did God really? And now, now again, he, here's, there's a couple of things that trips me out right here, guys. Why? Because, again, look at what's going on, Okay. This snake was talking to the woman, and he's actually saying, did God indeed say you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And you go, well, what trips you out, Ben? What is it? Number one, can I just say this, okay? There's a couple of things that trip me out right here. You go, what's that? That a snake is talking to Eve, first and foremost. That blows my mind. Why? Okay. It blows my mind that a snake is talking at all. I mean, we know in Scripture that he opened the vocal cords of a donkey. We got that. But here's a snake talking. And now, again, doesn't, does that trip anybody else up but me? I'm like, it's a snake. It's a shiny one. He's like, hey, baby, how you doing? I don't know what he's saying, but he's talking, and that trips me up. Now, this blows my mind. Why? Because I've never heard an animal talk audibly. But nonetheless, the serpent is having a dialogue with Eve. And, of course, we know the serpent the serpent talked, how? Possessed by Satan. Possessed by Satan. So we know, guys, we know. Now, 
I did some research today, and I don't know if you knew this, and I'm going I'm to talk to some of, my, some of my single folks here, right? I did some research, and did you know that snakes still talk today? You go, what, what do they say? Some of them say, right? Some of them call you babe. Some of them call you bro. Some of them call you friend. We got to be careful, guys. We got to be careful. We need to see their fruit. So, so this snake is talking. What does he do? What does he do? What's his M.O.? He begins to question God's word. Has God indeed said? Has God indeed said? Pastor, what was the questioning designed to do? Okay, listen up, listen. The question that, that there he is right off the bat, right? Here he is having this dialogue with Eve. The question was designed to suggest that God was keeping them from something, that he had not been honest or fair with them. That's what the question is designed to do. He's looking at him going, hey, Eve, come here. Come here, come here. <clears throat> How's it going, Eve? Good? You, you all right? You all good? Um, why is God holding out on you? I thought God loved you. Why doesn't he want his very, why did, what, don't you think he wants the very best for you? Why is he, I mean, and that's, that's what the questioning was designed. And a lot of times, guys, in our walks, if we can be honest, that's what the enemy comes in our lives, and he starts questioning us that way. Did God really say? I thought God loved you. If God loved you, why did you get cancer? If God loved you, why did you, why did you fall in this relationship? If God loved you, how did you end up hurt here? If God really, and again, it's that same question. Well, I thought God loved me. I thought he had the best for me. And that's, that's, that was designed. Now, Eve, guys, Eve is about to enter into a dialogue with the serpent. And I'm thinking, listen, let's admonish Eve right now. Eve, don't do this, right? Because she could have shut it down. She could have shut, all, shut this down with the truth. He comes and he says, did God say, right? Eve could have said, yes, he did. Turn around and walk away. How so? He could, he, he could have said, he could have told just like Jesus. It is written, right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Don't you know, Satan? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat it. For in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. Eve could have shut it down. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Guys, let's take that and let's, let's hold on to it as truth. Right? When the enemy comes and he starts to try to challenge us in God's words, to question God's words, we just go back to the word of God. This is what God's word said. Turn around and walk away. Don't get in a dialogue with the enemy. Don't get in a dialogue with the enemy. Eve doesn't. She begins a dialogue. Look at verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent. Now, don't you just shake your head at that. The woman now begins talking to the serpent. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. We have a lot going on here, guys. A lot going on here. Now, I'm not going to give Eve a rash right here. And you go, why? Because honestly, we simply don't know if Eve knew that animals could or couldn't talk. She, I mean, I'm just not going to give her a rash. But we know that she does talk back to the snake. Now, before we move on, my question wouldn't be, Eve, why are you talking to the snake? I think my question would be, why are you so close to the tree of knowledge of good and evil? You go, Pastor, why? Because I think when it comes for us, 
Guys, it's not how close we can dance to the line of sin and get away with it. I think we should, as believers, say, I'm not even going to go close to sin. I'm going to try to get as far away as I can. Even when your sin has something shining in it that you want to see or that is attracting you to you. Mm. Mm. See, I think too many believers, guys, will, will try to balance that line. Okay, how far can I? Okay, I'm not sinning. Got my foot. I'm not, I'm not but boy, this is fun. And, 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 and then we're too close. And, and I would say, Eve, 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 get away from that tree. He said, don't go near that tree. He, he said, don't eat of it. Just don't even go near. For me, don't even go near. Don't even go near. And I wonder if Eve is walking by going, wow, that fruit, that fruit looks nice, but we're not supposed to eat it. Oh, I could make some really great dinner with that. Hmm. Hmm. And I'm saying, Eve, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Well, James, actually in the New Testament, guys, James tells us, listen, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he tells us, but each one, everybody say, hello, that's us. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do you guys see the progression here? You see, we're tempted when we're hanging so close to where we shouldn't be. And James, James says, guys, now listen, listen. The problem is, is that you're tempted and you're going to be drawn away by your desires. And then you're going to be, that word enticed is hooked. Ah, like a fish. I'm hooked. He says, and once you're hooked, he says, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Isn't this the progression we see right now with Eve? Eve, Eve, stop, stop. There she is. There she is. Eve, listen, you're right now, your desires are, and you're being enticed. And in a few minutes, we're going to see that it's going to be what? That desire is going to be conceived, and it's going to give birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So she begins this dialogue. Notice her response. She says, we can eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree, but of this tree, God said, don't eat it or touch it, because if we do, we're going to die. My paraphrase, my paraphrase. Here's what we need to understand. You guys, I had you at the beginning of the church say that, that, that the Lord said we could freely, right? She doesn't mention freely. See, I, I found it interesting. She's talking to the serpent. She goes, yeah, yeah, God said we could eat of every tree. So she takes a little bit off, and then you see, what does she do? She adds a little bit, right? Because notice, notice she says, notice she says, God said don't eat it or, help me, church, touch it. Because if we do, then we're going to die. Now, I need to give you two schools of thought and some application, okay? First school of thought, based upon the text, all we have is what God told Adam. Adam don't eat of the fruit, you will die. That's all we have. Can I get an amen? amen? So we're really not sure if this loving prohibition 
included a command that says don't touch. We don't know. Maybe, and in, 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 in maybe that God didn't give us all. I'm giving you the school of thought. Maybe God said, and, and Eve heard don't touch, and so she's really quoting what God said. We don't know that because all we have is what God said. That's some people going, well, we really don't know. We really don't know. So in the school right now, guys, we have those who say, well, Eve didn't really add to God's word. We just don't know. We just didn't have all the info written down. That's one school of thought. You go, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. What's the second school of thought? Second school of thought is that Eve added to God's word. She took away freely and she added the phrase, nor shall you touch it. And this school believes that Eve is adding to the loving prohibition, the command not to eat of the tree. She is adding to God's word and taking away from God's word. You go, wow, I didn't catch that. Now, here's the application. Whatever school you're at, but let me say this, okay? Here's something that we can pull out a nugget of truth. You go, what's that? The problem of adding to God's word in a general sense, when we add to a loving prohibition, is that when we add to it, we can become legalistic. You go, legalistic? When you add to a loving prohibition, you can at times become legalistic. You go, what does legalistic mean? Well, the definition of legalistic is this. The terms Christian used to describe a doctrinal position emphasizing a system of adding more rules and regulations for what, Ben? For achieving both salvation and or spiritual growth. You're like, whoa. For example, God said, don't eat of this fruit. But I'm saying, don't eat it or even touch it. And if I was more legalistic, I could say, now, listen, God said, don't eat of the fruit. Don't you dare touch it. And listen to me, y'all. Don't even walk by the tree. Because if you walk by the tree and the fruit hits you in the head, you guys are going to die. So, or, or if the branch, right? Is, is that not legalism? Is that not legalism? You go, okay. What does that mean? Guys, we have to be so careful because we can do that even today. You go, where? where? Let, me give you, let me just give you an example, right, of legalism. Where, where, where can legalism, you know, rob us in the body of Christ? Well, you can jot this down if you want to. We can be legalistic with clothing. With clothing. Why do you wear shorts to church? Why don't you wear a tie? How come you do this? And we can, we can turn people off by what? I mean, it's not even a loving prohibition, right? God didn't say, you need to wear a suit to church. And we do. We look at people and go, listen, and you should dress. And you guys know this. That you should give your best, your best dress Sunday to God. Come in and, whoo, you look good. And other people go, listen, I feel really comfortable worshiping God in jeans and a T-shirt. That's how I feel. But we can be legalistic clothing, can't we? We can look at people and we can look down on them and we can add. And we can even make God's word say what we want for that. You go, what else? Let me give you another, another quick one. Music. You see, back in the day, the organ was the only thing that we felt, oh, this is how we got piano and organ. And now, again, we say, oh, no. That's not, that's not worship. We, we want the guitar. We want the drum. No, guitar and drums, bass should never be in the church. And we can, we can be legalistic that way. And we can hurt the body of Christ. 
Because there's people in this world that would worship to an organ, and there's people who probably would never worship to an organ. You see? You go, what else? Food. Food. Sometimes we can be very legalistic with food. Well, don't eat that. Well, we can't eat that. Well, we're not supposed to. And, and again, here's the problem, guys. We'll take a loving prohibition, we'll add to it, and when we do, sometimes we can become legalistic. And the point is, when we love people back to life, we look at them and we say, are you worshiping God? I'm worshiping God. Amen. Do you worship God with a tie? Love to worship God with a tie on. Praise the Lord. Do you worship God with jeans and a tee? Oh, I feel so comfortable. I just worship God. What kind of music do you like? Oh, I like Hillsong. I really like how that worship is. I just put it on my head. I just worship and I just, oh, man. And there's other people who say, no, no, no. That, that's, that's kind of too much for me. I like to worship. And I remember the old gospel songs that ministers to me. Help me, church. What's the point? That we're worshiping God, right? Because everybody's different. Everybody's different point is that we should worship. Well, you go, what else is, well, expect to our text, guys. There's another interesting point, right? He says, but the, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor you touch it, lest you die. Here's what I find interesting. Look at, look at the Bible. Okay, look at verse three. Everybody got it? I find it interesting. I don't know. I find it interesting that all uses is the term Elohim. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of garden, Elohim has said. And I'm thinking, but yet God has, God has been walking with them in a personal way. And I find it interesting that she didn't say, Yahweh Elohim said. I think at this point, her emotions are starting to kick in. And she's starting to feel like she's, she's missing out. God is holding out on her. Well, God said, God, Elohim, strong creator, you go, Ben, well, you're speculating. I'm just thinking at this point, my, my opinion. And I wonder if at this point in the conversation, Eve starts to find herself questioning God's, God as well. I wonder if she's going, you know, is he really keeping something from me? Why would not God want the very best for me? Let me eat of every tree, every tree. I want to know, I want to have the knowledge of good and evil. I started to think about this yesterday because a sister from the church came and, and we got to visit a little bit and we were talking about just, about, and I'm thinking there's Eve, right? There's Eve and, and, and what is he saying? This, this fruit, whatever it is, is forbidden fruit. Eve, Eve, listen to me. Don't eat it. When you eat it, you're going to die. And I'm thinking, where do we find her? We find her standing right there by the tree having this dialogue. Where is Adam? Where is Adam? I don't know. Is he right here? Is he listening? Is he, is he? I don't know. But here's what I do know. If we can apply this in our lives, guys, I think we have to be so careful because we follow in the same pattern as Eve. What's that forbidden fruit? For some reason, we are the people when, they t- when God says, don't do this, we go, why not? I want to. Been married 30 years. You don't want, I want somebody new. Forbidden fruit. Can't have her. That's what I want. 
And, and it's that forbidden fruit that draws us. And we have to understand, oh, God gives us a loving prohibition for a reason. But we're always attracted to forbidden fruit, something we can't have. And usually it gets us in trouble. Can't have that. Can't have that. I guess at this point in our Bible study, I would ask what, what in your life is forbidden that you feel attracted to at this point? The Word of God is like, no, 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 no. And you're like, man, but, man. What in my life is, is forbidden that I'm walking by every day? We'll use this as a simple illustration. Let's say your doctor says you can't have any more donuts. I know, Joe, I know. Doctor says you can't have any more donuts, Joe. If you have this donut, Joe, you'll die. Joe's like, oh, I don't want to die. And so what Joe does is he says, okay, loving prohibition. Forbidden fruit, can't have donuts. And then Beverly calls me up and says, Pastor Ben, have you seen Joe? No, why? Well, I think he keeps driving around Krispy Kreme donuts all the time. I was just... <laughs> You know he can't have it. No, he can't have it, but he constantly drives by. Brother Joe, why are you, uh, why, you know what the doctor, I know, I'm not, I'm not partaking, I don't have a donut. I can drive by and I can, <sighs> but didn't you read what James said? James says you're going to be enticed and you're going to be tempted. Well, I can have one. Why? Because the doctor didn't really say I can have donuts. He said I shouldn't eat it lest I touch it. Maybe I'll die. I don't know. He said, did I die? Will I die? I'm not sure. And Brother Joe would say, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die with a donut in my... Just kidding, Joe. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Tactic number two. Tactic number two. Oh, well, well, here we go, guys. Well, the serpent chimes in, right? Verse four. Then the serpent said to the woman, what did she say? You will not surely die. Okay, what's the tactic? Notice how he changes God's word. God said, you're going to die. You won't die. You're not going to die. He tells Eve, you know, he tells Eve, you will surely not die. The serpent, guys, who's possessed by Satan is lying to Eve right now. Lying by changing what God had said. Listen, if you get nothing else from this message, get this. Satan is a liar. He is a liar. Do you guys remember Jesus in speaking to the religious leaders in John 8, 44? He said to them, he looks them straight in the eye and says, you are your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks of his own resources for he is a liar and he's the father of it. What did Jesus say? He said, listen, Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And so what does he do? He wants to change God. He's lying. And he changes God's word to mean something else, right? One little word, not. Not. You surely will not die. You surely will not die. Eve, come on. Think about this, guys. Think about when... When he tempted Jesus out in the wilderness, what did he do? You guys remember, we could go through the whole temptation, but I know one of the things that he did is he quoted 
the word back to Jesus, but he didn't fully quote it all. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 4, 5, and 6, the devil took him up to a holy city, set him on a pinnacle on, a, on the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, now he's going to quote God's word, he shall give you angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What is he quoting? He's actually quoting Psalm 91, 11, and 12, but he doesn't quote it all. He's a liar. You go, what do you mean? Here's Psalm, here's Psalm 91, 11, and 12. For, ye shall give you, um, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands you shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. See, Satan did not quote accurately. What did he do? He omitted the phrase because it did not suit his purpose. He is a liar. He will do that to us. Did God really say? Did it, what does the word of God really say? What does God really say? Well, what else does he do? Tactic number three. Okay? He denies God's word. He denies it. You won't die. You won't die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall, you will not surely die. He's denying God's word. For God knows that in the day of you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Note with me, guys, here, the key word in Satan's sermon. You will not die. And here's why. Now Satan begins speaking for God, doesn't he? Well, this is what God said. And God knows when you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you'll be like God, and you'll know good and evil. No, God didn't say that. Come on, listen, let's just be honest. You want to be like God, don't you? Don't you? At this point, Eve still has a chance, right? Turn around, Eve. Adam, where are you? You're her husband. Come and cover her. Where are you, bud? Adam. He's questioned God's word. He's changed God's word, and he's denies God. He denied God's word. Well, what happened next? Well, look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. And made themselves covering. Guys, if you have a pencil handy and you don't mind writing your Bible, here's where you put a big sad face right there. Because here's where sin fractured everything. Eve was caught in a trap, deceived by Satan. The same strategy he uses today. You go, how so? Well, John tells us it's the lust of the eyes, right? So she comes and it's pleasant to the eyes. Hey, that fruit looks good. It's forbidden. I don't care. It still looks good. I bet it tastes good. What's the harm? What's the harm? Eve, you're going to die. I don't think I'll die. I believe, I believe Satan. Satan says, well, the snake, whatever it is, I'm not going to die. She had that lust. You go, what else? Well, number two, guys, it's the lust of the flesh, right? Lust of the flesh. The tree was good for food. Hey, God, you made it. Didn't God make it? Right? This is how we are too, right? We, we use that phrase in our world. What is it? 
if it feels good, do it. Right? If it feels good, all right. And then and, and here's what we do. Guys, we'll take something and we'll say, well, God, you created it. It must be good. It must be good. And that's kind of the same thing. It's still that what? It's still the lust of the flesh. Hey, man, that tree was good for food. It appeals to the flesh. And then, of course, the third one, we see the pride of life. The tree was desirable to make one wise. She's thinking, hey, I want to be like God. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. I note what happened. She took of its fruit and she ate. Here's the question. Where was Adam? Where was Adam? Some speculate. Some people were like, he was off naming animals, doing, doing something. Others say, no, he was right by Eve's side. Maybe, guys, maybe some, some people believe that maybe that, that, that the, the serpent tried to deceive Adam. Adam wasn't having it, so he then focused his attention on Eve. I don't know. Either way, Adam's, there he is now anyway, right? There he is. There he is. Man, guys, had sinned. Adam and Eve both transgressed. The specific sin was a rebellion against the command of God. He said, don't eat. Listen, the sin right here, guys, it transitions us from knowing about sin to knowing sin. That's what it did right here, the knowledge of good and evil. This sin fractured everything. What did it fracture? It fractured health. You see, Adam and Eve, although they didn't die physically, they began to die at that point. It fractured the world, Paul tells us in Romans. Don't have time for that if we're going to take communion, but we know it fractured the world. Everything began to die that day, that day. Note with me, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, not in a good way. It wasn't in a good way where they knew God. It was, an, it was not in a good way, and they knew that they were naked. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Let me point out three things to you guys here real quick. Their eyes were opened. How were they opened spiritually? Their eyes were opened spiritually. Oh, my goodness. They knew they were naked. Remember last week we talked about intimacy? They were, they were naked and not ashamed. Now they're ashamed. Something has changed in their heart. I don't know what that looked like. Oh, you're naked. Oh, what does that mean? I don't know, but... I don't like it. So what did they do? They, they got fig leaves to cover what? The intimate parts. Do you guys know, if you're in Israel, Tamar will remember this, and Alice, we got fig leaves off the leaf. We, we picked some fig leaves. But do you know what happens when fig leaves dry up? They begin to itch. 
They put off this powder, this itching. So they're covering their intimate parts. And as the fig leaves begin to dry, it is just unbearable. And they're trying to cover them. Wow. Did you guys feel that? They're trying to cover their own sin. Like a lot of us do. That's what they're doing, guys. They're trying to cover themselves. Now, we're going to close as Josh makes his way up. We're going to take communion, okay? But, but think, about, think about what just happened because we, we're in a bummer state right now, so we need a whole lot of Jesus so that we can focus on communion. Before we take communion, guys, I, I, just, I just think about this, right? If I were to step back from our text and look at it in a broad scope, I wonder, what were the goals that Satan had to begin with? What were, what were some of the goals? If I was going to interview Satan and he let me, I would say, what were the goals that you had in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1? And I think the first thing this is that we could get, his goal number one is to separate us from our covering. Women, men, we need to cover our wives. And the one thing he wants to do is he wants to separate us. We have to be, that's his goal. What do you think? Well, if I could get Eve just away from Adam for a little bit. Some of you in this room are about to get married in the next few weeks. Some of you are going to get married in the next few months. Men, you have to cover your wives. You have to be the spiritual leader. Because what will happen is the enemy wants to what? He wants to separate you guys. You go, what else? Well, if I was gonna if I was gonna if I was gonna ask Satan what it would be, guess what he would do? He'd probably say, Well, I want to separate you from recovery, but I, he'd also want to separate us from the word of God. He'd want to separate us. Hey, if I could get them here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. In order to quote the word of God like Jesus did, it is written, we have to what? We have to know the word of God. And what I want to do. If I was Satan and I had that goal, my goal is to get you away from studying the Bible, to get you away from discipleship, to get you from reading it. Let me put everything else I can. Let's put TV. Let's put magazines. Let's put whatever we can. I want to separate you from the Word of God. Whatever I can do on a Wednesday night to not get you to church, I'm going to separate you because I don't want you to learn the Word of God. I don't want you to take notes. Don't take notes. I don't want you to refer back to that in time of crisis. I want to separate you. If I were to ask the third one, is that his goal is to separate us from God's presence, from God's presence. He wants to separate us from God's presence. That's what he's going to do, isn't he? Because next week, guess what happens? Adam and Eve are walking in the garden. They hear God, and they hide in the trees. Their fellowship with God is broken. That's his goal, guys. That's his goal. And we have to learn that. We have to learn that. And as we come to the communion table, we need to understand, yeah, chapter 3 is done. I say amen? Or chapter 3, 1 through 7, amen? amen? Because we see Christ next week. We see him tonight. Why? Because even though Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, Christ was already going to die for you. 
They already knew. Everything from here on, guys, is pointing to the redemption. Because it says that we are all born in Adam at this point, but when we're born again, we're born in Christ. That's what saves you. You go, okay, so we've got 15 minutes. What are we going to do? Will you just take a moment, guys, to think of your redemption in Christ and how beautiful that is? Can we sit here for a moment and acknowledge, yes, I'm with Adam. I, I blew it. I am a sinner. But I've also... I've also received Jesus, and I'm saved. And when I take communion, what I'm doing is I'm celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection and the soon return of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to do. I believe that. I believe that. When sin came in the world, guys, it was a huge, like, computer virus to mankind, right? It was in the bloodstream. It was horrible. And the only way that we could live is as we have a blood transfusion, it's the only way. So what did Jesus do? He poured out his blood so that we can be healed, so we can be saved. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. Lord, it's a hard, hard lesson to swallow. We are sinners, God, saved by grace. And God, as we come to the communion table, I pray, as we would open up our hearts to worship you, to give you the honor and glory tonight, Lord, that we would pray and that we would just confess our sins. Some of us here tonight, Lord, we need a foot washing. We need a foot washing. We just need to confess our sin. Lord, forgive us. We've, we've brought in some of the world in. Please forgive us. Some of us just need to worship for a minute. Just need to worship. We just need to praise you. Some of us just need to let the word of God sink in our hearts and cleanse us. Father, if there's anything that's drawing me to forbidden fruit that's going to that, that's gonna end up killing me, God, spiritually, emotionally, I want away from it, Lord. Father, forgive us if we're being legalistic, God, because we are called not to judge people. We're called to love people back to life, so forgive us for that. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness, ungodliness. Give us, God, give us a new focus, a new heart as we come to the communion table. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.